Verve is a global collective of badass intersectional feminists. Our persisterhood connects women globally online and on land through activism, volunteerism, fundraising, awareness campaigns, and Prosecco think tanks. We want to welcome you to our weekly audio recording of the blogs published on Verve She Said this week. Our bloggers write from all over the world about feminist issues they give a shit about. Just like listening to a podcast, we hope that by creating a Verve blog audio library, we will make it easier for you to stay in touch and be in the know about all things Verve. Today we have Verb blogger Sarah Bradnam with us reading her blog, Body Dysmorphia. After Sarah reads her blog, she'll sit down with me, Anna Quick Palmer, founder and chief feminist operative, and Erin Whiteley, chief managing feminist, to talk about what body dysmorphia means and how it affects us, almost all of us. Without further ado, we hand the mic over to Sarah. Body Dysmorphia and Me. My body and I are not friends. I've tried for a long time not to hate what I see when I look in the mirror, when I gaze down at my naked form, when I can't help but visualise myself from the outside when I'm having sex. I fixate on my flaws. I pull myself apart. I ruthlessly compare myself to others, friends, celebrities, passing strangers, anybody. And I am never satisfied. It's been this way for almost as long as I can remember. Some of my most stubborn memories from my teenage years involved the obsessive analysing of my changing body. I would get out of the shower and will my thighs to shrink down to their prepubescent width. They did not. I would grab at and pull on the fat that had deposited itself round my waist, mentally chastising myself for being so lazy, so useless, so disgusting. I would contort myself into impossible poses, desperately trying to find the one angle where I even vaguely resembled my peer group and the celebrities on TV. But there was no getting round it. I had gone from waif-like child to puppy-fat encumbered teen, virtually overnight, or so it seemed to me. I couldn't understand why I didn't look like most of the other girls my age. I was obsessed with studying their slender bodies and trying to work out how I could achieve those proportions. Slim arms, flat chests, tiny waists, and thigh gaps. That was beauty. That was desirability. That was what teenage girls should look like. And it didn't help that other people, school kids, family members, complete strangers, saw fit to comment on my body. Why are your thighs so big? Small child at dance school. See you soon. I'm sure you'll have put on another two stone by that point. My grandmother. Wide load coming through. Teenage banter merchant. Squidge, 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 my ex-boyfriend, as he grabbed at my love handles and belly in public. To paraphrase Rufus Sewell from A Knight's Tale, because there is never a bad time to paraphrase Rufus Sewell in A Knight's Tale, I had been weighed, I had been measured, and I had been found wanting. Oh yeah, and the acne was brutal, win. So far, so standard teen experience. I'm sure, in fact, I'm certain that I'm not alone in experiencing the double whammy of prepubescent weight gain and problem skin, along with the underlying hormonal clusterfuck that both gives rise to these issues and renders you incapable of seeing them in perspective. My teenage self was a self-loathing narcissist. She wanted nothing more than to be beautiful, but was incapable of seeing any beauty in herself. But we grow up. Our bodies continue to morph and develop, our hormones eventually level out, and we settle into our adult selves, finally secure in our bodies. We recover. Except when we don't. 
I, along with just over 2% of the general population, have body dysmorphic disorder. My relationship with my body is one of near-constant second-guessing. I have to check how my weight is sitting on my frame. I am constantly squeezing and pinching and pulling at any excess I can get my hands on. I can't trust mirrors, I can't trust my own judgement, and I certainly can't trust other people's assessments of how I look. I often fantasise about having liposuction on my legs, or worse, taking a knife to them myself. I am regularly taken out of my normal thought patterns by the recurring image of me slicing into my own thighs and removing pounds of flesh. I could be happy then. The severity of the obsessive thoughts and the compulsive checking varies over time. Some days are better than others, and I can even, in very rare moments, feel happy in my own skin. But then the bubble soon bursts, and I'm back to self-loathing and acts of micro-harm as punishment for my inability to be perfect. And all of this, all of this, is so at odds with what I believe I should feel about my body. Forget how I actually look. Trust me, that is completely irrelevant. I believe that I should love my body for all the reasons every wellness blog or feminist text on the issue will tell you. Because this is the only body I have. It is mine, and it is unique, and it is powerful, and it is not there for the benefit of the male gaze or the critique of society. It is mine. I just wish I could believe it. I'm lucky in many ways. I'm acutely aware that the flaws I see in myself and I feel a visceral white-hot hatred for each and every one of them, but I know that the problem is in my mind and not my body. While this may not sound like the definition of lucky to you, at least it prevents me from actually taking up that knife. But I want to. More often than anyone would guess. Thanks, Sarah, for reading your blog. Let's dive right into the convo. I have to say that one of the things that you said that I I don't know. I mean, I, when you said you have sort of fantasies or you think about like just being able to cut off, mm-hmm. you know, part more than just not just simply cutting in terms of whatever, but just like have part of your body or something and fantasizing about doing. And I completely relate to that and I mean in fact I've done that I mean Mm -hmm. after I had my babies I had my boobs you know cut and made smaller and I had you know my ass skin lifted no and my I've had a facelift so I have actually and um and I was going to say when you're talking about feeling guilty about you know thinking that way and feeling that way and having those um and and feeling like you're guilty feminist you Mm -hmm. know for I don't see it like that at all. Mm-hmm. I think it's just another symptom of the patriarchy and we're not guilty for experiencing it. And the fact that now we're beating ourselves up because we're beating ourselves up because we're not fitting this. I mean, I think that you, it's a reason why we need to, you know, overcome the patriarchy and get past this. But I don't, that don't put the onus on us. Mm-hmm. You know, and that we should feel bad. And I'm sure you've thought all of these things and (laughs) it's all gone. But again, that's another thing that goes through my mind. And I wish I didn't feel that way. And I wish I didn't feel the need to do these things. Um, But I do. And um, I torture myself enough with, you know, all of the, all of, I mean, I just went through eating disorders and, you know, both kinds and up and down and I gained, you know, a hundred pounds with each kid and lost it. I mean, my body has 
I said to my husband the other day, I was like, you, I mean, changing my hair color, my body doing this, my this. I mean, it's almost like I'm a last woman, you know, mm -hmm. which is what, and then having to go and, you know, having the resources, thankfully for me to be able to, but I, I do have to say, and I don't want being perfectly honest, I do, I feel better about myself physically than I ever did in my life. And I think part of that is maturity or whatever, but you know, I did, I was, had enormous breasts as a, and so I, and they were just always, I felt like they weren't me, you know what I mean? These big, what have them, you know, my breasts made smaller and more manageable and whatever. And, you know, taking off, you know, the extra skin from the twice 200 pounds and having the confidence, you know, first of all, to just be naked in front of my husband, yeah. you know, and that all of that, um, I, I mean, I'm not a happier human being, don't you know, it's mm -hmm. not like it's changed my life dramatically. And I think it's not for everyone. And I don't think it makes everybody happy. But I also think that we have to be honest is that I'm really glad I did it. And when I look in the mirror for myself, I feel like this is, you know, this I, is the right thing. For you this, yeah. And this is that I, I, this is how I see myself in my head and all my life, you know, when I was, you know, fat and when I was whatever. And so bad or good. Um, I don't know, but I totally, when you, I'd never heard anybody really say the part about not, you know, not just the cutting, but no. just wanting to, I thought, Oh my God, I totally had that. Have you ever had that thought? Uh, I mean, I grab my cellulite a lot and suck my thighs together. Like you <laughs> said, you did still to this yeah. day. I yeah. mean, because I've, I, I mean, I'm 36 next year. I've come to terms with the fact that my thighs will always touch. I mean, that's literally just a body type. Like, you're either born with that or well, you're not, not born. Well, no, it, it, no, no, it is. It's I'm where your hips lie. I mean, obviously, and you I, can gain weight and they can, and but I, I mean, when truly, this gap it's. thing became such a thing. But it is. And I people, know. people. Well, another problem. Yeah. <laughs> another thing to worry about. So another I mean, we're supposed I to have so that dudes find us attractive. Yeah, <laughs> and I and I totally I I get what you're saying that you feel you know better because you have you have uh, been lucky that you can do those surgeries and stuff. And I feel like we, we but we do need to figure out a way for most of those people who can't take those steps to surgery if that's really the right thing that makes somebody happier like how do we how do we meet in the middle and well I agree and my point though was yeah. more to say that you know that it's sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't yes and that it's not but to be I mean I could sit here and take the feminist agenda and beat myself about say you know I'm not really happier with my body I'm still you know I've done all this and I whatever but I'm trying to be very truthful and say that I really like the things that and mine were more sort of also reparative I mean after yeah. having yeah. children and doing all that I didn't do I mean I was you know 35 or 36 and you know my body had gone through but I just feel it would be disingenuous to also not point say oh yeah because there are people who have surgeries who are addicted is. to surgeries and they're still not happy right. yes because the I think the important thing to to look at then is were were you given any kind of psychological evaluation before you had surgery? Did they 
ask you questions about that because I think that's well for one yeah yeah they did um you know they wanted to know um how many times a day you look in the mirror and what you different they asked different questions um uh like that and but I wouldn't say not one-on-one with I mean you handed that form over um I don't think that necessarily they all of the doctors do then they don't care it's done Um, irresponsibly yeah i think it sounds like what they are trying to do is look for classic examples of dysmorphia because it is known that people who have dysmorphia will become addicted to surgery because they keep fixating on these problems that may not even genuinely be there Yeah. yeah like from from an objective sense there are people who literally see half their face is looking like a tumor and it yeah normal looking person it's so there is a difference between i think someone who is like i'm not happy with my body i've been through a lot let's you know kind of change these things up and yeah genuinely this does make me feel better about myself and i i don't like to say it but i used to when i was a lot younger weigh a lot more than i do now and when i hit puberty and i do talk about it a bit like i hit it hard and I oh, of, me too. Yeah, I me weighed too. about 11 stone. For some much is what bad. is that in American? Uh, <laughs> or what is that in... So that's, wait, hang on, 155 pounds? I was 167 yeah. at one point. But that's mm. kind of the thing that started my, I mean, my father's eating disordered and depressed and all this other, I mean, there's a lot of background. But I got to, like, almost 170 and... My mother, who felt she was a little heavy at the time, was like, okay, you're coming home for summer. It was high school. I went somewhere else for high school. And uh, let's do Weight Watchers together. And let's do... And so we started... It was all very innocuous, and we were eating healthy, and it was great, and started to lose weight over, and it was very satisfying, and I felt really good Mm. about myself, and, you know, all of that. But it kind of... Well, one of the things I remember seeing my dad after I'd lost like 50 pounds or whatever, and he didn't say anything, right? And Or then he said, you're going to gain it all back. And oh I <laughs> went back to school and I dieted, but I was weighing myself every day because already, and I was like, and I gained a pound, I think. And I thought, and I mean, like I said, the foundation was laid or whatever, but honestly, that I feel like that's the moment I became anorexic because I was like, this is not going to happen. I am not going to lose control of my body to that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. To have yeah. him. I mean, there's so many layers to it, like I said. But yeah. that, and that's kind of also why for my children who went through a very heavy periods, because I I took, maybe I abdicated too much, but I did not want to meddle in there. You know, they let them eat what they want. I never commented on. Um, it was just... In response to puberty, you yeah, know, because well, I, thi- I think yeah. that's why and why I didn't ever say to my dog because I do think it's also a slippery slope. If you are that way and you start to diet and you get start to get this positive feedback and you get to this, and if you are suffering from like mental, I mean, depression, whatever, it becomes this thing you can control. I mean, there's so many different aspects of it, and I kind of, I mean, I was heavy and heavier than probably was healthy and also than I wanted to look and all of that. But in a way, uh, it was that, that was, you know, the gateway, <laughs> the gateway yeah. diet, you know, but they talk about drugs. No, I, I went through dieting phases as a teenager. Like I went up and down as you're mm-hmm. talking about. And the, the thing was, and this is what I feel bad about. It's like, I am genuinely happier when I'm thinner and I know that I've 
like that's the kind of thing about feeding yourself with the feminist. I am too. I I shouldn't, but I am. And that's pretty much because you get positive feedback from society, from your friends, from Mm -hmm. your partner, from your mirror, Mm -hmm. because you've internalized it. And everything is telling you that this is the way you should be. And like, I check myself multiple times every day. And Mm -hmm. yeah, as I say, it's like, I can't, I have to make sure just have to make sure like I can still see the lines on the sides of my stomach and I can see this and like no I'm okay because you know however much I'm eating and if I'm not exercising like but I'm okay though because I'm stopping yeah and it's horrible I hate that I feel like that and I know that like that's just me using another thing I've internalized is like my belief that I actually shouldn't feel like that but it it's like I will find whatever stick to beat myself with whether it's genuine oh right yeah Yeah. well I admit the you know, I was thinking that's how I was trying to explain to somebody how I, I feel when I have more weight on me than mm-hmm. I like. And I said, I feel like I'm in, I've got, like, I'm in a sort of a fat suit and I'm trapped inside. And this is not, I just want to tear it off. Like, it's a thing that's keeping me from the, I don't know, but it's like a suit I want yeah. to rip off when I've got, like, more pounds on me than, and almost like, you know, like we were saying, cutting or ripping off, and it's yeah. this internal frustrated feeling. And it and is violent. And oh, it, it absolutely. Well, and we it is are a very as well being able to rip it off in oh. whatever way it is, whether that's surgery, whether that's actually sticking to a diet, whether that's an exercise regime. That is a privilege that not everyone has. Buying healthy food. Yeah, exactly. No, healthy stuff like, is way exactly. more expensive. And again, this is a very first world. Yeah. Like, just to qualify our developed world um, yeah. problem, a lot of people are trying to put on some weight yeah but but there's we have a real big problem with value judging fat like fat in and of itself is not a bad thing it is a thing it is just it is a noun (laughs) it's a thing that exists but if you you, if you describe someone as being fat you're not just describing them descriptively you're not saying what they look like you are morally judging them yeah you're labeling them they've been put into a category that is just yeah morally bankrupt somehow because they can't control themselves they're like little children that's this is not anything about what i believe it's no just, i know I, I, I read no i yeah. completely agree you know yeah. the interesting thing about that is that like i said both my kids went through very heavy periods and everybody had you know a uh different you know my husband came to me and he said oh you know should we do something whatever and i said September I took them to the pediatrician they weighed them and the pediatrician said well they're kind of said well is it hindering their health are they verging on diabetes I said because they both you know did everything with their friends they ran and which said well no but it could I'm like well if it's not harming their health so I go to my husband he said maybe and I said doctor said it's not hurting their health it's not keeping them from activities they seem the only reason that you at this point, knowing that want them to be thinner is because you're embarrassed. Yeah. And you're uncomfortable turning to people and saying, these are my daughters, and they don't look like. And I said, and if that's the only reason, it is not a good enough reason no. to fat shame your kids or yeah. to put them on there. That you're, I mean, when you really get down to it, that's even what most parents are doing and they may say it as an excuse you know well, it's a two. reflection of them yes yeah. exactly yeah. and I for whatever reason did not ever feel that way thank you know what I mean I was but you know and when I pointed that out to him he was like oh yeah you're right and then he you know he's the kind of like once it makes sense then he's totally yeah. on the thing but 
I think a lot of us, a lot of parents also don't stop and think, why are we making this? And, and, and this area in particular is about body. I mean, we can never leave. We can't achieve, out-achieve our body. Do you know what I'm saying? We can't, if somebody doesn't think we can be a doctor, we can go, you know, but there's so much more intrinsic in, in, in our bodies. And well, I think what you're kind of like touching on is the, the level of concern that we have. And sometimes it's real. Like genuinely could be like, I'm worried about my daughter's health mm-hmm. or something. I'm like, okay, fine. But the problem is we tend to over apply it and we assume that fat means unhealthy or overweight to whatever extent means unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we think we're okay to, and this is a term that I only learned recently and I think it's fucking great and it's yeah. called concern yes, troll. Concern troll. Concern trolling. So I learned this from uh, Jamila Jamil. Yeah, love um, her. Oh, amazing fucking heroine. She, um, she's got the I Weigh campaign and she was talking, she posted this picture of this woman who's, um, she's a, a big woman wearing this little bikini and she's just fucking fierce. And she's like, this is this person. She's like, and described her and she's like, and if any of you concern troll and, you know, kind of say that you're worried about her health and her weight, then fuck up, I'm blocking you. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much for that term. That makes so much sense. I've totally done that to people, loved uh, ones in my life, still to this day, because it really is that boundary that you don't even know you're crossing because you mask your concern or what, your control with concern. Yeah. Yeah. Or your disgust. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing, again, as a parent, that was a big deal, that is a line to walk, is understanding how much of your concern, you know, you can do all that as a parent too, not just to the outside yeah. world. And when really it's because you have a very specific outcome or you, you know, you, that you are hoping for. And I think that it's very damaging. And I think it's, it's particularly, I mean, first of all, the women, we have much more prescribed how to, I mean, there are men with body dysmorphia yeah, of all kinds and there, whatever, but it is, um, very much so in the past when it been a female problem, not unique. Sarah, I wanted to, we were discussing earlier about how grateful we are um, to have you as our blogger, you know, one of our bloggers, one of our, is successful the right word? <laughs> Most popular, yes. I mean, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I like successful. Yeah, I like successful. Large. Because you take subjects, you know, whether they personally affect you or a current feminist issue and you really dive deep and make it very relatable. So this, I know, blog, The Body Dysmorphia, was really personal because it's something you struggle with. Mm -hmm. Does it help, like, to write about it? And then not only that, is this something that you've been open about just recently? Do you have friends that you – was there a time where you're like, I I need to get this out of me? Like, literally, I just need to – Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, so, um, I've, I've been aware of it for quite a while and there are people in my life who knew about it before this. Um, my partner, my close friends, um, it came to a head last Christmas really. And I remember being on the flight to the States with my partner and I was just sat in the seat and I was like, I just, I, I felt such disgust with myself and how I could, like, I could literally... To me, it felt like I could feel the fat on my body growing. Like, it's so surreal. It's, no, it's I know weird. that feeling. Yeah. Um, and I, I, 
attention and I was like I was almost in tears and like nothing had happened I was just sitting there like stewing in this and I was like I need to do something about this I need to see someone I need to like I need to find a therapist I need to write about it. I, I just need to do something um so in the process of the time since then I am now doing both like I obviously I've written about it which um I got a lot of feedback from people who know me who are like I had no idea felt like that I had no idea that this was something you were going through thank you so much for being so open about it which is like the reward in and of itself if mm -hmm. people are like that meant something to me I've had people from other countries like Instagram because I, I tend to you know screenshot the post and post it on Instagram yeah. as a way of promoting it and I've had yeah other people with dysmorphia kind of message me and be like this is something I totally resonate with and well that's, that's another great. thing I wanted to say is that I think that it's not not feminist to, you know, be vain or have body dysmorphia. I mean, I think that that is part of, you know, the, the patriarchy, what, what we've been to. Mm -hmm. I think that, and you know, again, the cliche, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But I also think exactly what you're saying is that also whatever we experience or experience, um, if we use it correctly, uh, we now have an experience that other people have and we can relate to it. We, when we meet someone who has, no matter what it is, whether it's, you know, you've hella skied or you, mm. you know, have, you have mental health problems or you've experienced abuse in relationships. You, every time you meet someone and that, and you share yours and very often people share theirs. It's yeah. a, once you put it out there and starting that dialogue and the benefits to that person as well with their they're in a place where they feel that they can communicate and you know put it out there i think that that is an extremely feminist thing to do a very sisterly thing to do i mean that's the best way to use the negative the negative side of it uh and i think that it i mean i think that there are a whole whole another group of people that you know, having this that we can identify with, who we can say, me too. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a, that's a great thing. It can be a really, um, isolating and obsessive and lonely experience. And it's so easy to get entirely wrapped up in it to the extent where you can't appreciate that this could be anyone else. So naming it, talking about it does diminish some of its power somehow. And whether that's through writing about it or through going to therapy and trying to talk about it, which is the other thing I am doing. And that's been so helpful. And it's like unearthed all these things. I was like, oh, I had no idea that that was something that was leading into it. Everybody should go to do some therapy. Yes. Because <laughs> she just said, you have no idea. And you can have a better life. You can be even a little bit happier by going and checking in and sorting some things out every once in a while. Yeah, I I feel way more at peace with myself now than I have in a long time. And I think it's a combination of writing about it, which is therapeutic, and going to therapy. Mm -hmm. And it's this, um, a really helpful thing that my therapist said is like, don't confuse wellness with happiness. Like being happy is not a goal in and of itself. You, you are, you're aiming for wellness. You're aiming to be able to, cope in a with the in a bad situations yeah. yeah or the ups You're, and the yeah you absolutely can't control your happiness right. per se it's something that happens and it's something that goes away but the way you are armed to deal with it your toolkit or whatever that's what therapy gives you or gives you access to which i find so incredibly helpful and 
yeah, writing for whatever reason has been this resource that just like I had no idea. I find it just very satisfying anyway because when you do it and you and you read stuff back and go, oh, that's actually really good. I know. And you're like, oh, <laughs> every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, there's it's it is its own reward, and especially having people feedback. And I know this wasn't writing, but this was um, previously on my old podcast. I had a, a woman come up to me who was an old friend who I hadn't seen for years and told me that she'd quit her job because of the podcast because we like she had no idea that she was in such a toxic work environment oh. and she started recognizing all of these things and was like I've got to get out so it's like you have power you have power to make That's people's lives better what you do what we do matters I mean that that mattered what you did it's not on a huge scale sometimes it's you know but well, and story sharing, like I, I always go back to when repeal the eighth happened, they, I read this fantastic article and I feel like I've talked about this so many times about the reason why they repealed the eighth and it was at Northern Ireland. Yeah. yeah. yeah is be, through storytelling. Yeah. And that is the most powerful tool in today's world right now, whether it be in politics or, I mean, mainly politics yeah. and you know, bringing people together, so on and so forth. It's bringing something relatable where, and again, it goes back to that Me Too, outside even the Me Too movement, when somebody, you know, whether or not you agree with something or not, you hear somebody tell a story. You're not only appreciative of this person opening up a part of their life to you, but it's it's relatable. It's and, having some control of the narrative yeah. in whatever way it is. And it might be personal and it might be, yeah, for me, writing about it, talking about it gives me an element of control, which is something you really don't feel like you have when you're experiencing this more. No, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. that's so, a very good point. Yeah. And another thing, I read Michelle Obama's book, which is great. <laughs> and she said, I think she's known for saying this, but I didn't, that it's hard to hate up close. And so, and I just think that is and very much in saying it in a different way, but very much about that, the story, like when somebody is in your face and they're human and you, they, you know, you have whatever exchange you have when you, it, as a human being, the human being, it's hard to hate and you, you start to even instinctively, maybe because it is up close, start, you know, making accommodations and making understandings and making, uh, I just think that's a brilliant. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, if you point. if you want to control people, then you dominate the narrative and you don't let them share theirs, mm -hmm. which is what happens in a lot of. It feels like that's what's happening very much in the rights and politics at the moment, both here and in the US. Like you just yeah. people literally, it doesn't matter what you throw at them, people just scream the same thing back at you, and that's all they're doing. They're just trying to dominate so that no other story gets out there. Like you realize that Brexit and all that, and I, I do see that as part of it. Oh, I do too. I, I now work in trend. PR, and you can't get news out there. You can't share the story of the important things that are happening because the story is being dominated by Brexit. Yeah. And that is completely... That's a good point. I, there is, um, I was listening to the Hilo, another podcast. Yes. Um, this was a couple months ago, actually, and they it was an article that they referenced about how in the Trump and Brexit world it's so it's become such an obsessive storyline yeah. that or even just America and the West where you know they used this the the example of there was a mass shooting in what was it um 
in Russia or something, it, or I, it was at a university, yeah. and 30 people were stormed in a university and, and killed. And where was yeah. where was that conversation where was that news story i mean that happens in america all too you know um regularly but it was just about how the, the western world dominates the entire world and that's a really um um but you're scary. right how many yeah. news stories are we missing because yeah. the world including myself is riveted to the news yeah. and Yes, when they play some, do some story about some little town, I, that yeah. might be when I go into the kitchen to get yeah. my... Yeah. No, but you know... No, well, because can, we've been programmed that way. But know, also, I, that's why they're shutting out stories. I mean, yeah. to circle back what we're saying about the power in storytelling is that's why, you know, administrations like Trump are shutting down journalists because stories from a person about their life, about their experience, change it as powerful and it's changes super, people's yeah. minds. Yeah, exactly. You just keep... It doesn't matter what. And it's, it's particularly true of Trump that you throw anything you like at him, you throw the fact that he's lied this many thousand times within the last hundred days and this was wrong and this was wrong. Doesn't matter. Literally doesn't matter. He just throws noise back. Yeah, and he's he just throws... like, no, no, no. And all he's I don't I don't think this is of any actual um intelligent strategizing on his part. It just happens to be his personality and for whatever reason that works in this day and age. But the noise, <laughs> the absolute blanket kind of bath that's coming out dominates, and you can't mm -hmm. argue with it. I think it's interesting we started out talking about body <laughs> dysmorphia, and now... <laughs> but again, I mean, there is a certain... there. there it is related, um, I mean, in terms of sexism and intersectionalism and, you know, then going to equality and free movement of people and all of these laws, and, and I mean, I, I, it's all... I think our world right now is, like, exceptionally masculine right now. So it kind of, yeah, like, well, so we're talking about body man. dysmorphia. No, yeah, no, that's what that's I, very that's much why. the patriarchy, which is men. And then, you know, obviously, and then we get sucked into, I mean, the, the Trump administration is, like so fucking hetero angry yeah exactly yeah so of course we naturally get sucked back into things that you know make us unhappy and pisses pisses us off well and the personal yeah. is political i mean yeah. the things yeah. that we groups of you know women or, or or minorities or people are going through personally it's there is a political you know reason yeah. and a political societal uh structure that has made that you know why, why women feel this way so I think it is political, and yeah. that's my excuse for talking about Donald Trump all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, it's like, is it possible to have a conversation without, without mentioning him? Brexit or Trump? Yeah. Is it possible? And we just point I mean, we failed, yeah. but it's fine. <laughs> so I'm going to circle back um, and ask you another question, Sarah. Mm -hmm. uh, what is your take on just the – this may be too vague of a question, but has the body positive movement today been – a positive movement for you like have you found that it's helped you in any way I mean because it's very much like a current feminist um you know it's on conversation yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes I I I think I what I try to do is I'm trying to I'm making an effort to follow a lot of um body positive accounts mm -hmm. on places like Instagram or body neutral which I think is a really important thing as well. Like there's, 
What is body neutral? So body neutral or body neutrality is the the just acceptance of your body as it is. I don't have to love it. Sometimes I really get annoyed with it. It's like good enough. Yeah, it's like it's there. It's a body. It carries me around. And I think body positivity is really important, but I can see how it can make some people feel inadequate because they're like, well, I don't love my body. It's just there. Like the expectation that we love ourselves all the time. Well, I think that's an Instagram thing. We're supposed yeah. to be happy all the time. I mean, yeah, I yeah, think that's a, ideally no, I can, what we... I can relate to the no, body good neutral. Yeah. No, no. I, t- I think that is the ideal. Yeah, I mean, body we, neutrality is Worshipping your body. To. Worshipping you know, people taking it to the degree and treating it, I don't know, like... It can be I mean, extreme. Yes. Yeah. Let, 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 you know, I mean, It can be another pressure, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. That's body neutral. Yeah, body neutrality. I think, yes, for me, that's what resonates most. But body positivity for someone who has a lot of body negativity is a good way of reaching neutral. And so I think Instagram can be an incredibly unhealthy place if you don't um, manage <laughs> who you follow. Yeah, I mean, it's caused body... It's, it's Yeah, it's called buzz. It yeah, I, Instagram has yeah. caused Yeah, because you can obsessive. filter everything. Yeah. You can get a body filter that lets you change the size of your waist. Oh just my like gosh, live. you can. And you can, there's a face tuner that I tried it. It freaked me out. Like you can hold it in front of your face and live, you can just like make your eyes big. You can hide your spots. You can Holy change. Holy Not okay. It's so not okay. It's like live photoshopping. Oh my goodness. And it just means that th- then we never see a real person ever. So the body positive movement for me has been a really like amazing, it's like I just exposure, like I want to see real women because I've been exposed for so long to, and like, yes, models who are very, of, of a specific type, who are very thin, who are very tall, but even they are being photoshopped. Mm-hmm. So you're like, well, if we're not being exposed to real bodies, to real women, to real men, then how the hell are we supposed to have a healthy relationship with our bodies. So people like Bo- Body Posy Panda, she's a body positive advocate. You'll know her as soon as you see her. She's got this amazing pink and purple hair. But she literally just like comes on. She's incredibly confident, wears beautiful clothes, but she, she just dances in front of a mirror in her underwear, having the best time. And you're like, you look at her and go like, just objectively, and this is me looking at it, I'm like, okay, she's she is bigger than me. She has so much more happiness and confidence in her own body than I have. Why do I have this problem? I'm like, right, I just need to change my fucking diet of what I see because yeah. you're exposed to this really unhealthy... Your social media diet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, either come off it completely, but then it doesn't help because billboards and advertisement yeah. everywhere is just selling you this toxic idea of what women should look like. Or you curate it for yourself. You look out for people who have a way more positive attitude to it. So like the I Way Project, like Jimmy Legendale all of these people who are not trying to sell you tummy trainers and detox tea, which is a laxative and all of that shit. Yeah. Like it's, it's great to see a variety of body types because that's what actually exists. And we forget that. You know what I feel really lucky for, although I ended up, you know, eating disordered and all of that is that when I was growing up, I got, we got all our clothes at this used clothing store called Buffalo Exchange, and this is literally 40, starting 47 years ago, and it I think it was the first store, and it was just, you know, it was used clothing store, and it was kind of dumpy, and the dressing room was this group dressing oh, room. Yes. Oh, yes. Wow. At the time, very European. Now, well, yeah. I didn't know that. Cause I, think, <laughs> I didn't I know either I, I until I came to, to town and I was four, yeah. and I don't think I had a piece of clothing not from there until I was 15 and got my first job. 
Um, and I was soon back when I realized how much things cost <laughs> at other places. But there was a group dressing room. And they and the women there, and again, I don't know if there's a certain type who's in, you know, you, whatever. But it people were naked and people... And there was every type of body and from four years old before I was sitting in the corner while my mother was trying and watching yeah. women, you know, oh, this doesn't quite fit me. My boobs are too big. Oh, well, can I try it on? Because I said, and this back and forth and, you know, nobody, and again, this was a long time ago, so nobody had had plastics. There weren't any, yeah. you know, I mean, and, and I'm looking, there were no perfect bodies. I mean, there were some, and I think... That And I think a lot of people, we live in such an, an, uh, nuclear families and things like that, that um, do, we don't see women for real naked, you no. know, in the, in the yeah. changing room, in the gym, in the locker room. I think that's very enlightening. I yeah. think that's a very good thing. You know, it used to be women in a lot of the world had like hamams. Yeah. And you would go once a week or when you could afford it or when it was. And you, every woman would be there no matter what, and they'd all be getting scrubbed, and you'd see different phases of life, what body does. And we just, we don't see, I mean, I remember, my mother was naked in front of me all the time. But I remember, Even when your mom visits, I still see yes, her in her underpants, and I, <laughs> it's refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I, some people no, might think that's is. weird, but it's refreshing. I'm like, here's this fabulously curvy 80-year-old mom answering the door in her underwear. <laughs> And I'm like, thank you for that. Thank you for reminding me that I shouldn't give a shit walking around in my underwear. I remember reminding my oldest friend, Stacy, who I've known since third or fourth grade. And she said to me when we were grownups or something, she she always really liked my mom and admired. I mean, Stacy came from a family with eight kids and just chaotic. So coming to my house, an only child of a single mother who's a teacher and no TV, she was like, oh. Heaven. But she always, and she said to me, she said, you know, your mother was the first woman I ever saw naked. Yep. And I was like, what? Because you have like five sisters and you have a mother and whatever. And I don't know if it, they were very Catholic, but the modesty or whatever. I mean, she never, maybe when she was little, but she had no memory. She had not ever seen a woman fully naked mm. aside from herself or whatever. I can well believe that. Yeah. Do you know, like, this is making me think and I'm sort of like formulating a theory as I'm going. No, theor theorize it up. <laughs> yeah, theorize it up. But I, like, yeah, it, it feels like our kind of really terrible relationship with our bodies has a lot to do with our very negative relationship towards sex and sexuality and our enforced prudery because society tells us that the naked body is dirty somehow or that sex is... Something. Or being naked, yeah, yeah being just naked has to do with sex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything to do with sex is dirty, and yeah. and that our bodies. That's another thing is that I think we also we have to, our we feel that our, we are being punished in a way. Like I mean, God from I'm going to the religious aspect. Yeah, yeah. Our bodies are what you know we seduced Adam, and then our punishment for that was periods and painful childbirth. And I, I mean, we're Doing being humanity. no, but God literally <laughs> punished us into. I mean, that's. Yeah. I don't believe that. No, but that's but the rhetoric we're right, dealing exactly. with. Exactly. If we're dealing exactly. with a society that's built on the image of women betraying humanity by and our bodies, us to live in, and, yeah. it's like, well, we're fucked. Yeah. So it, yeah, it just feels like if if we don't get to see the naked male or female form um, throughout our lives because it's so sanitized and because there's something so wrong about it, and I, I obviously I know that there's like a hard line when it comes to you know, child abuse or paedophilia, but there's a big difference. Like there are families who are just happy to be like naked. You all go into showers and have it like 
I was so ashamed of my body, like in the gym that I'd shower with my um, my swimming costume mm. on, and other people were naked, and I was like, I wish I could do that. Yeah. And she, if we had less of a hang up about sex and our bodies are like we see bodies as sexual organs rather than it's a fucking body right. yeah we all have one yes yeah. like the female breast is somehow something sinful whereas the male torso is not like the whole free the nipple thing like stop sexualizing it it's just a body then we would be way more immune to this whole issue because the only thing we're seeing is the advertising version of the body. Yeah. We're all we're seeing is photoshopped versions of bodies and models and fucking Yeah, the quote-unquote perfection of what our body should look so like. So it's no yeah. wonder we're sick. Like, of course we are. Even if you don't have dysmorphia, you've probably got something. Oh, I... I, I don't... Uh, I'm sure that every single person on this planet have some, even if it's 0.01% of something, of a bo- negative body image of them. So I think... Yes. It's not inherent. That yes. Not well, possible. I do. I, I agree with it. But I do also think that human beings are vain. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And we have been decorating ourselves pre-patriarchy, oh. um, tattooing ourselves. But wanting jewelry. to look good versus wanting to but, look good in a way that we think something, someone else wants us to look, which is the patriarchy. Yeah, exactly. I think are two different yeah. things. I agree with you, but also since the beginning of time, people have been using markings where it's a form of status. So if you had more necklaces, you were in a sense, you know, if your neck was longer for, you know, I mean, I'm not sure that there wasn't in in, in every culture, some ideal that was held up that women, I mean, not necessarily in the Western world. And that is, this is not an excuse, but I do think that we have to take that into account when we're saying what part of this is society? How much is natural vanity? I'm not even saying the natural vanity is wrong, but there is, I think, a part that is uh, the condition of being human, which is the self reflection I mean, animals aren't, well, peacocks are vain, aren't they? But, <laughs> but if it's to do with, like, literally an animalistic display of sexuality and I, I need to fuck something because I need to reproduce because that's my animal urge, it's like, cool, okay. And yes, we have a... There's something in humans that seeks beauty, and I totally understand that. But there's and beauty's different beauty for is, every eye of the beholder. And also, beauty can mean beauty in nature, beauty yeah. in architecture. Like we have an appreciation for something that just makes sense to us. And yes, a lot of that's to do with symmetry. But we, I think, we make the mistake of treating people like things, and we're not. So we idolize beauty in ourselves and other people and we, we we objectify them we view beautiful people in the same way as we view a beautiful object but do you think that that is not part of the human condition potentially but then i never quite know what to do with that because does that's that, what i'm saying does that mean it's a cop-out are we going no well, but that's what i'm condition? saying i don't think it is a cop-out but i think in order to truly understand yeah. where all of this comes from and where you know the the uh, the disorder, the pain it causes us in life, mm. the, all of that, where it comes from. I also think you have, you have to look at it from every angle. And I do think that human beings are vain and that there is this, and it, this is pre-patriarchy, pre-10,000 years ago, that for, and it may have to do with status. And then why is that important? Because thin is definitely a status thing yeah. too. It's not necessarily being fuckable, that you're more fuckable, you know. No, oftentimes it's related it's to, to your wealth well, and your status exactly. and all of that. So it represents different things. Um, 
and I, I mean, I'm not, I'm no scientist, but I, I, there is something that is the part that makes us different than animals. And I think there are a lot of qualities, but I also think that the self-awareness we have, there's a vanity attached to that. And that is part of the human condition. So then it's just a matter of at what point do you step from human nature, whether that's vanity, you know, Racism, whatever. Racism, I mean, people can say. To then stepping who... into the room that is a disorder. Mm-hmm. And that's where, because it's human nature to have negative and positive thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's human nature to be vain. It's human nature, you know, to want and like beauty, whatever that means to that person. But then at what point do you step across into the other room? I mean, there, there's disorder. They're called disorders for a reason. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who hover. Uh, we know that social media has not, is very polarized. It's helped people like the body positive movement, but it's also caused a whole nother fucking sick world of whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, at what point, how do we identify that or catch ourselves from stepping uh, into that yeah. next I mean, I, I can tell you from a, like my, my former psychology background coming in is like, what I remember of it is when something is a disorder is, is when it starts to disrupt your daily life. Yeah. It's a so, disruption. Yeah. Regularly. So, exactly. So I, I very much, um, relate body dysmorphia. Um, it's kind of similar in a lot of ways to OCD in terms of the obsessive 100%. checking. Yeah. Um, it the compulsions may not be there, but the obsessive checking is, and it's to, yeah. To what extent does your vanity or self obsession or just like your just your need to know um, interfere with your life? Are you, that's one reason why check, like going yeah. over you thinking that's it. Time? Yeah, that's one reason I knew I when I finally said like I need help is because I was either exercising, this is with anorexia, mm. or I would count and recount the amount of calories that I had did. Every 20 minutes, I'd go back to bread. Wait, no, I had one loaf of bread, and I mean, I would do it over and over again. Like, And I was like, and it was fucking exhausting, and there was no room. I mean, I, you know, I didn't commute. I mean, I was just constantly calculating and how many calories that I burned running, and, and I thought, I... I I'm, I can't function anymore. Yeah. It's too much. Um, and and I wish way, I got like, help sooner, but it is, was all consuming yeah. on every level. And technology, in a weird way, can kind of make it worse because there are all these uh, my fitness path. Yeah. So people become obsessed with how many steps have I done. Oh, and yeah. it's like, it's great if you're like, oh, no, for general, like, I just need to be a bit active. I've totally modern family jogged yeah. around the room just to hit my 10,000. Yeah, but see, here's the thing, too, about having some self-awareness and knowledge. Is like, I know myself. I will not get a Fitbit because I will find myself being like, oh, well, I walked. And for me, I mean, I'm not, you know what I'm saying? I'm not training. You know, I'm not no, whatever. No. I get, I'm like, I, I know myself, and I know what fault, and I'm not going to tempt myself. I'm not going to go there. I mean, I don't always do that. But again, as you get old, you have some self-awareness, you can say, and they're, I'm not saying people shouldn't. I'm oh, no. That. I think we're I'm, all really lucky because exactly. we know our triggers. We're right. at this point yeah. in our yes. life where we've been lucky enough to where we've, we've, uh, we're aware, we've gotten help, and now we know our triggers. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully we can then manage and... But it's a process. Yeah. I, I mean... It is a process. It's a process. It is. And it's, I don't know, it, it kind of, it can feel very depressing. 
and yeah like you say knowing yourself is the most important thing because I downloaded I think it's called my fitness pal or something like yeah. that and it's this app where you you put in everything you eat and you put in all the exercise and it tells you what your deficit is and you're like oh you should be having more protein you should be I was like I cannot do this no. because this way madness lies for mm-hmm. me like I will obsess about this is making me miserable and what it's designed to do is to help me actually find a better balance for like oh I want to tone up so I should be eating less of this more of it no I don't want that level of specificity because fuck it like I I I may have issues with my body but fuck that but good on you for recognizing (laughs) that that is so smart I'm the same way I went to I'm supposed to you know I'm about to I got a year from 50 and you know your bones and so you're supposed to start doing weight training for yeah. your, you know as you get older especially whatever so I went and I met you know the trainer to get my session my initial session and she was saying oh you know what exercise do you do and I was saying well I did this and that in the past but this and this and she said okay and what's your diet and I said I I'm not going there <laughs> I said you know what I mean I this is not I'm not going to talk about you know this is like you said this is what you say this is not the oh this way madness lies yes yeah. this way Matt, that is perfect for me and and she, you know and I think normally they do that they want to talk about it, but I was like I I know you're trying to help I know whatever yeah. but for me I do I cannot think about what I eat too much yeah because it just there was a thing that showed up on my newsfeed like literally last week saying experts say that seven french fries is all you should ever eat i'm like fuck you who eats seven french fries um, no 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 i'm powered by potatoes my husband tried to yeah. take potatoes away from me because he's a meat and vegetable man <laughs> and this was in the beginning of our relationship and he he didn't know you know that like i'm powered by fucking potatoes and for four days we were in spain and i was like yeah i'll try this shit and by day four i was angry i was like low energy and he's like oh my god and i was like yes and this whole idea of that we are all the same, yes, that like we can operate, exactly. you know, I operate the same way as, as Anna or Sarah or so on. And, and, and we can't, can't do that to people. No. And so much of it is out of your control anyway, <laughs> yes. because your microbiome is in control yes. so much. And yeah. like all this amazing stuff that like they can do a fecal transplant from someone who is not obese to someone who is obese and the obese person will become non-obese. And if you wanted any evidence... Wait, what? Yeah, it's literally transplanting shit. Honestly, it's part of your... To change your, the gut? Your gut bacteria. Gut bacteria. People do everybody this? Everybody talks about but gut it's, bacteria it's not, now. It, it was an experiment that they tried. They were like, I wonder if you can change someone's like profile for putting on weight or not by changing what the gut bacteria are like, your composition, and yes, you can. Do they open it or they just stick it back up someone's butt? Essentially, yes. They take somebody else's poop and they They're just shove some it up shit into your... else's, And you can change it. You because it's it's foreign bacteria, may take or it may not. But for people who try and That's say that it's insane. Like, you oh I'm, that, I maybe I would do it if I would I'm not going to, like, but it's if but your argument a, is that people are lazy and yeah. that they're out of control, you're like, no, literally you're predispositioned to yeah. carry oh, weight yeah. a certain way. Yes, if you overeat you might gain a few pounds, but not to the extent that explains obesity. Yeah. And Obesity as a as a health concern, not trying to concern child, but it's like it's kind of a modern phenomenon. So you're kind of going, well, it's probably not something natural that we've been doing. It's probably something to do with the chemicals and the hormone processing oh, yeah. and all of that shit. So you're like, okay, cool. 
it's in our diet now, what do we do? Why are some people vulnerable to it and not others? But it is also access. And I do yeah. believe that, and I, I always look at people who are, um, uh, who are heavier than the social norm. I always think of it, it's, it's the same disease, anorexia and, you know, um, binging, uh, binge eating, you know, which, I mean, a lot of, and I think, it is the same. It We're is actually the same. publishing. It's a different manifestation, you know, but it is it, it, the same thing. And I think that absolutely there are genetic aspects that, and by and different phases in your life, your hormones change that have to do with, you know, your body has a set place it wants yeah, to be it wants where it's to comfortable. Be that. Well, I was just going to say that also that people also recognizing in some ways that some obesity has to do with mental illness and oh, that yeah. it's not yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this person. They, they, Obsessed, not compulsive healthy. eating right, could be healthy, the same but as, But it's not yeah. just that they're, I mean, the real root cause of this, and we've been so, people want to avoid mental illness so much, and yeah. people want to. Or they want to they, say that they're lazy, and right, they don't and not, run when really. to blame the person. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Then, then an to illness. say that this is, you know, and then you, and then the onus is on them, you know, yeah. to do yeah. it rather than saying, you know, this is something, and I, I think a lot of, you know, oh, uh, not. It's a fair amount of people who are obese, just like people who are, you know, anorexic or bulimic or eating mm -hmm. disorder. It is, it is a mental health issue. It is because they can't stop themselves from, you know, they have these. It's a behaviors. physical symptom of yes, a, me a exactly. medical illness, and I think yeah. it needs to be looked at that way, and not just like, oh, you're gross because you know I'm on the thin side, so I get. It's the same disease, but the world, you know, uh, praises me yeah. for having it, and it's a socially acceptable, if not, you know, uh, admirable. And yet there's somebody sitting on the other side of the bus from me who's, you know, obese or mm -hmm. the same disease and society has rejected them completely. Mm. And it, it's just yeah. a different version. Yeah, we've got a really a lot of work to do as a society to stop fat shaming people and to stop body shaming in whatever sense. Like I, and it goes in either direction and that is the problem. Like people will go, well, we're not skinny shaming people. And they're like, well, yeah, we are. Yeah. There are people who are like, I, you do see people who are like, you can tell are ill because of anorexia mm -hmm. or bulimia or, or whatever. And you just like, you look at them and go, okay, I can see that you are ill. But I also recognize that my judgment or society's judgment mm -hmm. of you is not the same. And we're just, sometimes we're fucking horrible. <laughs> like I know it, it's kind of, this doesn't solve anything, but I think it's, it's, it's all about just try to be kind because you don't know what someone is going through and so the third time I think today, that's so important the third time yeah. today in a conversation where you know basically the conclusion that I've come to is you know which is everybody has a story mm -hmm. and you don't know and that's why also having experiences and then talking about them and whatever then people's stories come out and people's and I think when you say we have a long way to go I think that I think all of our, you know, the stigmas and the associations that we make, and we spend so much time and energy marketing in every single way, judging how other people cope. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you you smoke weed and somebody else doesn't, but they drink, you know, they're like, oh, she, you know what I mean? And yeah, that's we, a whole nother fucking podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, whatever it yeah. is, like you have your, but and we or they spend money. Oh, they, you know, redid yeah. their home. They got new curtains. Who that? But then you, it's really important to you to have an. We just judge how other people do things and how they cope and how they find peace or solace. And sometimes it's destructive and sometimes it isn't. But what the fuck, people? 
I mean, again, you know, life, it's a condition in a way, and it has beautiful things, but in some ways, you know, there's, we're all just Trying doing to the best we can, yeah. and if, yeah. you know, and especially now, it feels like we're, we're very much trying to display ourselves and our stories and our lifestyles, but we're not telling the stories, we're not listening uh, Yeah, to there's a big difference saying. between a photo and a, I mean, again, it's in hard reality. to get up close, it's hard to not pick up somebody's you know, it's hard to love not up close. Yeah. Too. Exactly. You know, I mean, you admire from a distance, but again, loving your human being, which is where kindness comes from. Uh, it's if it's that or a move, if it's always in a photo, it's. So I was gonna ask to um, close out this fantastic conversation, <laughs> but um, I was gonna ask, what are our takeaways? And I think you kind of said it. You said, Sarah, be kind. Mm-hmm and listen and don't judge and yours I think is the Michelle Obama quote say that again you can't hate up close can't hate up close so tell your story yeah. and listen and listen yeah listen, listen when other people oh right <laughs> <laughs> they both looked at me when they said that <laughs> Alrighty. thanks to Sarah Bradnam for reading and discussing her blog. Stay tuned for more blogs by Sarah on www.verveup.com. She's a regular writer for us. Uh, We're truly grateful for her contributions. Thank you, thank you. Um, to read up on her existing blogs, just head over to our website, verveup.com, search her name, Sarah Bradnam, and get your blog on. Uh, Sarah, do you have any... Um, social media handles that you want to plug or uh yeah i mean i'm on instagram and <laughs> the, like no, that we've been like <laughs> no that's okay i love like, instagram I'm on, like, no i do really enjoy it yeah i'm, I'm on there um at bradders in wonderland bradders in wonderland bradders. can you spell that for us b-r-a-d-d-e-r-s-i-n <laughs> wonderland <laughs> sorry i've had too much is that today. wonder or wonder. wander wonder what is in like alice in wonderland got it wonderland. good and i'm on twitter at sarah Bradman. perfect i just want to say one thing we were talking about uh, instagram or this there has never been an innovation in the history of man that didn't have good and bad consequences. I mean, we talk about transportation. You can get here and there, but then, you know, climate change. Yeah. You can talk about, you know, yeah. being able people who, you know, IVF, people who can't get pregnant, but then, you know, we're getting yeah. into the part with designer babies. There's there's never been, you talk about the cotton gin. I mean, that, that's basically why slavery happened in the United States. It was an amazing thing. It had so many, and I think, you know, as human beings, again, trying to find, you know, the neutral and trying to figure out how to, but... That's, that's, again, the condition of every innovation has... Are we talking um, about social media? We are, too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, <laughs> we're like, talking... No, 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 but I... No, I didn't but, know yes, where we were going with Instagram. Yeah, no, I agree. There are, you know, positives yeah. and negatives. Totally. And I am a proud Instagram lover. Yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a way to use it. It is my it virtual is magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's great. I do love it. It's recognizing that it can be... Yeah. It can... Um, Polarizing. Yes, and it can further your sickness or it can make you better. Yeah. Or it can find, like, you can well, let, let's wrap up For with sure. that, too, in terms of hearing people's stories, thinking, letting them sink in, feeling them, uh, telling your stories. Uh, My ass is on fire, so you better wrap it up with your heated say? floor. Letting the stories have their power? I don't know. I'm just like... Oh, my God. <laughs> I think it's really the heat. good. Um, 
While Anna's thinking about what she is going to say, I am going to plug our next event in 2019. It's our third annual My Bloody Galentine Brunch on Saturday the 16th of February with Bloody Good Period. This event sells out every year. Um, so I'm just giving you the heads up and the warning. Tickets are going on sale um, this Friday the 11th. Um, and again, the event will sell out. Stay tuned. Look for that. Sign up to our newsletter so you get like first dibs. Um, and lastly, if you have something to say about what we discussed, uh, do not hesitate to email us at contact at verbup.com. If you liked it, loved it, hate it, we got something wrong, we got something right, we want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Did you remember, Anna? <laughs> no. That's all right. It's the Prosecco and mince pies. Yeah. Sorry, kava. Kava and mince yes. pies. All righty. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me again. Bye. Bye. And that concludes this week's blogs on Verve She Said. Join us next week for more badass blogs from your favorite Verve feminists. Remember, activism can be as simple as subscribing to Verve's weekly wrap-up and following us on at Verve underscore up on Instagram and Twitter. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Huge thanks to all our listeners, followers, subscribers, and supporters. You are our sheroes. Sheroes.